It's good to be here. I have uh, I've been gone most of the month of July, and I uh, I'm not just skipping. I want you to know I'm not just I'm not just ditching out on church. Uh, but I have missed you. Uh, I've had a chance to to be at some other places over the last month and just see what God's doing there and share there. But it is really good to be back. Uh, Janice, thank you for the worship this morning. Appreciated that. And uh, I, I want to ask this question. How many of you, anybody see Luke Akins jump out of a plane last night? Anybody see that? Um, Luke Akins is a guy from Graham, and uh, he's actually the son-in-law of some friends of our family, and uh, he he jumps out of planes. <laughs> that's, that's what he does. He's done eighteen thousand jumps out of out of planes. Most of them over here at Kapowson, out of Kapowson Field. So that's where they do most of their jumping. Well, he decided he wanted to uh, do something extra crazy, and uh, it was filmed live last night. Stride Gum sponsored this thing, and they jumped. Uh, they Luke jumped out of a plane from 25,000 feet with no parachute. <laughs> no parachute. And I'm not joking. There's no wingsuit. You know, you've seen the wings. There's no wingsuit, no parachute. It's just Luke jumping out of a plane. And he jumped out from 25,000 feet. At about 15,000, he handed off his oxygen to the guy who was sailing down next to him because they had to jump out with oxygen. It was so high. He hands it off to the guy who is, who is going next to him, and then he, he, he steered his body into a, into a net that was 100 feet by 100 feet, and he landed it, and he made it, and he lived, which is really just kind of the miracle. No, no, is that him? How do you do that so fast? Uh, no, no parachute, no, um, no nothing. It was, it was crazy. So... Uh, and I just say that, I didn't plan on saying that, except it was really cool, and you should watch the YouTube video. And he's local, and I will say this, sometimes, yes, loco and local, uh, so, sometimes when we are following the Lord, and when God calls us to do something, and if God is calling you, particularly into a p- place of influence, uh, leadership, something that, that, you know, often what it feels like to us is like we're jumping out of a plane with no parachute because it feels crazy. That's what, it, that's what the emotion of it sometimes can feel like. It's like I'm, I'm in this perfectly good plane and I'm jumping out of it right now. Um, but we only do that at the voice of the Lord, right? We only, when, when we're talking about God's calling. And t- today I want to talk about a guy who I think had some of that emotion going on in him. Uh, and his name is Gideon. Gideon. Uh, Pastor Mike uh, is away. He's been speaking at a camp all this week. And so uh, he, they send their greetings. Uh, and if you're visiting with us today, he'll be back next week. So make sure you come back next week. Um, but they've been in a ser- you've been in a series on heroes, and today we're going to be talking about Gideon. And I think Gideon had some of that emotion, like, God, you're asking me to do what? And uh, so we'll, we'll be listening to that. There's a passage of Scripture in Isaiah 55 where uh, the prophet Isaiah is speaking for the Lord, and he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Neither are my ways your ways. God doesn't do things the way we 
tend to do on a, on, a, on a normal earthly level. God's thoughts are bigger and different and beyond our thoughts. And we have got to see things through Jesus' lens. We have to see things through God's lens. In these times, if we're not spending regular time in God's Word, if we're not spending time uh, reading the Bible, letting God's Word inform our ways, it will be very easy for us to lose perspective, to lose our peace, and to be very confused about what the truth really is. We have got to understand, God, what are your ways? God, what are your thoughts? And here's the thing. Jesus believes we can know him. Uh, you know, the scripture says things to us that don't make sense from, a, from just sort of a, a human, rational, logical point of view. He sa- the scripture says things like, uh, the first will be last, right? If you want to be the greatest of all, you have to be the servant of all. These are things that, that don't seem like they make, they make sense, but, but this is God's way. This is God's kingdom, God's, God's way of thinking. And Jesus believes that we can actually think this way by, because the power of God's Spirit, when we, when we know Him, His Spirit lives in us. And we can begin seeing things from His perspective. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we have the mind of Christ. We can actually, our minds can be renewed and we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it comes when we make sure we're spending enough time with Jesus and enough time reading His Word and understanding His ways. We've got to know his ways. And when we do that, when we follow him and look at the look at the world through his lens, everything changes. And 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 the truth is, when you follow Christ completely, people might just think you're crazy. It's, well, yeah, I mean people might think you're crazy anyway, but <laughs> when you when you follow Jesus and when you do some of the things that Jesus asked, there are times where, you, where people might think you're 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 nuts. You've lost it. Um the Apostle Paul, uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians, he's writing this letter to the, to the Church of Corinth. And I hope you do this, but when I read Scripture, there are oftentimes when I'm reading Scripture, I'm reading stories in Scripture, and I find all kinds of funny things in, those, in these stories. I find all kinds of humor in Scripture. And, I, and one of these places is in 2 Corinthians. We're not going to be in this passage, so just, uh, I'm just kind of setting it up for Gideon. 2 Corinthians 11, he, Paul is talking about the, this, this sort of tension he has inside of him he said, where he says, listen, I could boast about all the things, all of my qualifications, all of my resume because I've done this and I'm this and I've, you know, you know I'm, uh, he lays out sort of his, his, his resume and he said, I could boast about that but I'm not, I'm not going to boast because I've also been persecuted. I've gone through all kinds of trials, all sorts of struggles and Jesus has been my savior and so instead of boasting about all the things that I've accomplished, I would rather boast about Christ. He says, I could boast or maybe I couldn't boast and then in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, he says, listen, let me tell you a story. I know a guy who had this revelation where he was taken up into the third heaven. Now, when he says, I know a guy, he's talking about himself. He's like, I know this guy who was taken up into the third heaven and he had these surpassing revelations. You wouldn't even understand about it, but I wouldn't boast about that. I could, but then he says, essentially he says in verse 6 of chapter 12, I could boast, I just want you to know, I could boast, but I'm not going to boast. I would rather boast about Jesus. That's essentially what he's saying. 
And then he picks it up in verse 7, and I do want us to hear this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. It says this. Paul says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. You see, Paul understood his propensity to, 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 to move to arrogance. He, he knew that about himself. And he said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and difficulties. Notice this, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Again, that doesn't make much sense, right? And then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's one of these kingdom ways of thinking that I want us to understand today. I want us to pray before we go any further and then we'll jump into Gideon. Father, thank you so much for uh, just your presence with us today. Thank you for your word that opens our hearts and our minds and our perspective to the truth of your kingdom's ways. Lord, I pray we'd never settle for anything less than your best for our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that we'd understand today that a big, a big key to that is our complete dependence on you. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak, you'd set me aside that our eyes would be fixed and focused on Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. See, when weakness drives us to depend on God, that's when we can become partners in his power. When our weakness, when the things we're going through, when our feelings of insufficiency drive us to depend on God, that's when we can become partners in his power. Too often the task that we face, a situation in our life, a circumstance that we're dealing with seems too daunting and we give in or we buckle to fear. Uh, it reminds me of a story of a little boy, a six-year-old boy named Billy. Billy was six years old. He was in his Sunday school class and in, in their Sunday school uh, classes, they were putting on a big Sunday school production. And the way they were doing it is each class was taking uh, one of the stories of the Bible and they were acting out the story from, uh, from that particular passage. And so Billy's class, uh, his six-year-old class, they were doing the story of when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples were in the boat and they were afraid. And so Billy was chosen to be Jesus in this play. Now Billy wasn't a very, a, a very outgoing person, uh, but uh, he got chosen to play the part of Jesus and so he had one line that he had to memorize. And Billy's line was this. It is I, be not afraid. It is I, be not afraid. He, as Jesus, that was his line he had, to, he had to memorize. And so he started working on it. He started memorizing. He'd wake up in the morning. It is I, be not afraid. He'd go to school. He'd be at recess. It is I, be not afraid. At lunchtime, it is I, be not afraid. 
Uh, at dinner time, he'd go home. It is I, be not afraid. Before he went to bed, it is I, be not afraid. He had this thing down. He worked on it for weeks. They rehearsed. They practiced. He was ready. It was the night of the big production. They, they, they get together that night. The parents are starting to come into the auditorium. The grandparents are coming in, family, friends. They're all loading the auditorium for this beautiful production that's going to come. And it's time for Billy's class to go out on the stage. And they come out on the stage, and there's all Billy's class. Some of them are, uh, you know, have made these cardboard sets of waves and the waves are going up and down. You know, the kids are doing the way. And then some made this, this big cardboard boat and they're making the boat back and forth. And it's time for Billy's entrance. Billy comes exit, he comes onto the stage from stage left. He comes in, he comes to the front of stage and he's ready to deliver his line. He's all dressed in the white robe as Jesus. He's ready to deliver his line and he looks out in the crowd and he'd never seen that many people in his life. And Billy is completely frozen. He doesn't know what to do. And his, and his teacher is in the front seat, front row. I, I'm sorry, his, his mom and dad are in the front row. And his dad is saying, It is I. Be not afraid. But Billy couldn't, he, he couldn't get, get the words out. The teacher from the side is saying, Billy, it is I. Be not afraid. And Billy just, he stood there frozen. And finally, Billy just blurted out, It's just me, and I'm scared to death. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes that's how we feel, right? We feel like, oh, man, it feels like it's just me, and I'm scared to death. In Judges chapter 7, um, what Paul talks about, about when I'm weak and I'm strong, is played out really well in the story of Gideon. Uh, let, me, let me just talk about briefly what, hap- what was happening here. Israel is, you know, they had been on this journey. They had been uh, delivered for, uh, from slavery in Egypt. They'd travel, a whole generation had traveled, wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they'd seen miracle after miracle, provision after provision, and, and they were headed toward their promised land. The land that would prom- was promised to them generations before that was theirs, and now they're finally going to go enter this promised land, this land that is flowing with milk and honey, uh, and, and it's, it's the goal that they had all been waiting for. They finally got to the edge of the Jordan River where Joshua, after Moses, uh, leads them across the Jordan River, and now they're in their promised land. But one of the things that God says to them is this. He says, listen, enemies have, have entered in and ha- are now uh, have settled in some of these parts of your land of promise. And so you're going to have to make sure that you're careful because they're going to try to pull you into some of their cultural norms. They're going to try to pull you in and worship false gods. They're going to uh, try to try to make you compromise in some of the things that I've called you to. And sure enough, as Israel got into their land and they're starting to settle in, in their promised land, they start facing some of this compromise and, and buckling into this temptation. And you see this pattern in the book of Judges where it says, and again, evil did, uh, again Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and then they faced the consequences of that. Well, they got to one of these stages in Judges uh, chapter 6, and it says that, uh, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord, that they had been given over to the hand of the Midianites, one of the enemy nations that was living in their promised land. And it says that the Midianites were, uh, were brutal against 
God's people. That they would, they would raise their crops. God's people, in fact, it says they were living in caves that they were digging out of the stone and, and they were hiding and they were just trying to protect themselves, just trying to save their lives. But they would go out and they would plant their crops, the Israelites would, in this land that was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey, that was supposed to be their land of promise. They'd go out and they'd plant their crops and as soon as their crops would begin to come to the point where they could harvest them, the Midianites and the Amalekites would come in and just... Uh, uh, overwhelm those crops and they would ravage their land they would take everything it says that that their their the the numbers sheer numbers of the midianites and amalekites was overwhelming and so here was israel god's people in the midst of their promised land and uh, a land that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey and they they're high, they find themselves hiding uh, trying to protect themselves and they they find themselves Hungry and, in fact, coming to the place where they're starving because they're not getting any of the crops, that are, their own crops that they're planting. So this is a difficult situation that they're in. There's a, there's a man named Gideon. And it says that Gideon is beating out the wheat in the wine press. Now, I'm gonna go, not going to go deeply into this except to say this. The wine press is not normally where you would beat out the wheat. Normally, you'd beat out the wheat somewhere up on a high, flat place. You'd beat it out so that the wind would come and blow away the chaff. Uh, But because he didn't want to be exposed and he wanted to protect this food for his family and provide the best he could for his family, he's beating out the wheat in a wine press because he would be more covered and more hidden. He's trying to protect. He's just trying to do what he could to provide for his family. And it says that an angel of the Lord came and sat down under a tree nearby where Gideon was beating out the wheat. And he's watching Gideon do this. And he says this in Judges chapter 6 and verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Just take that in a second. Take in the scene. They're hiding, trying to just do what they can to survive, Gideon is beating out the wheat in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The last thing Gideon felt like right here was a mighty warrior. It's kind of like, I, I remember when I, just when I graduated from Bible college, and I was ready, you know, God, you know, I, I, I had all the information. I was ready to go do God's work, and I was going to, you know, save the world. And here I came out, I was ready to go, and I got out of Bible college, and where did I get my job? I did have a, a ministry uh, role, kind of a part-time ministry role. Where did I get my job? Toys R Us. <laughs> and I was stocking shelves at Toys R Us, and I, I remember thinking, and I, and I was back in my hometown, you know, I grew up here in, in Tacoma, I went away to Bible college four years, came back to my hometown, and my job after college is at Toys R Us stocking shelves. And I remember thinking, I hope nobody from high school I saw, uh, I graduated, sees me that this is what I've come to. Because not that it's bad to stock shelves at Toys R Us, but I had such arrogance in me and such other expectations. But, uh, you know, here I was stocking Cabbage Patch Kids for crazy parents at Christmas time. You know, and, and it would be... It would be like, you know, the, the Lord standing there in, at the, in the Toys R Us aisle saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I, I would have been like, yeah, right. Uh, um, I think that's a little what, uh, what Gideon probably felt like, and, and although his life was at much more risk than mine. Although Toys R Us could be dangerous at Christmas time. Uh, <laughs> J- J- 
the 13th verse of Judges 6. Uh, Gideon asks some poignant questions. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied. Now, he's replying to what the angel of the Lord said. But if, and, and when he says, pardon me, my Lord, I want you to notice it's small caps, Lord. He didn't know who this was. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Do you know that when you read scripture, how you perceive the personality of the person or the situation of the person, or maybe it's, it's a little bit um, decided by what you're personally going through at the time, but how you read scripture sort of affects how you might interpret what's going on there. Because here's why. I just read that passage in, in one way, but it, Gideon's attitude may, been of, may have been more like this. <laughs> Pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, I don't know what his tone was. I don't know if he was just heartbroken or I don't know if he was angry, but he could have been one or the other or he could have been a little bit of both. But here he finds himself beating out the sweet, doing the noble thing. It's a noble thing that he was doing what he had to do to provide for his family. He was, he was doing what he had to do. And, and Gideon sees him, as, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord sees him as a mighty warrior, but Gideon is not convinced about what the Lord was doing. In fact, on a scale of 1 to 10, think about this. Where, where was Gideon's level of trust in God to care about him? It was pretty low, right? He said, the Lord has abandoned us. If, he says, if the Lord is with us, that's what he says. And he says, the Lord has abandoned us. You see, I think Gideon had faith in God's ability to do something. It wasn't that he didn't believe in God. He believed in God. He knew God had done things for other people. He just didn't believe God might do them for him. It, it wasn't that he didn't believe in God's ability. He knew God could, but he didn't trust that God would. And, and I, sometimes I think of the difference between faith and trust in this way, that faith believes God can and is who he says he is, and trust believes he's actually at work on our behalf, even though we might not understand what's going on. I, in fact, I would say I think it's actually worse, like when you think relationally, it's actually worse when we believe somebody can do something, but they won't. Isn't that more frustrating? Like you're in a relationship and you know that they have the ability to do it, but for whatever reason, they're not doing it. That's really frustrating because you have the faith they can, but you don't trust they will. And I think Gideon is, is wrestling with this right now internally. And, and, uh, and Gideon, uh, listen to what God says in verse 14. And verse 14 says, the Lord turned to him. Notice it says the Lord turned to him. This angel of the Lord was the Lord. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? <laughs> the Lord doesn't say, get better, get smarter, get more courageous, get stronger. You got to work out. You know, you got you to work harder. And you do all that, then I can use you. What he says is this, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. You might not feel like you have much. Well, whatever you got, 
Go in the strength you have. Verse 15. Pardon me, my Lord. He still doesn't know who's talking to him quite yet. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Doesn't feel qualified. Doesn't feel like he has the ability. Doesn't feel like he has the resume. I'm nobody, God. And God is kind of saying, well, exactly. I mean, he doesn't really believe Gideon's a nobody, but, but he, 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 God is about to reveal something about himself in this situation that could not be revealed in, in other ways. Gideon's fa- Gideon was not a man of particularly strong faith. Gideon's faith is weak, if the Lord is with us, he said. He feels unqualified. He lacks confidence. Uh, and this is kind of the epitome of the, of the phrase that's often used, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. It's, it's that kind of a thing that's going on here. But this is a reminder for us of this truth. It's a really important truth that I want you to hear if you don't hear anything else. Us plus God is always enough. Us plus God is always enough. <laughs> I love that picture. <laughs> Us plus God is always enough. There's so much to this, this story that I'm not going to get into because we don't have time and the, and the time we have together, but I'll just say this. Gideon wants to prove who this is that's talking to him. So he prepares a meal for this angel Lord so he can see what happens. He recognizes that, oh man, I've seen the face of God. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's confirmed that this really is God talking to him. So he needed that assurance. He then, just to be doubly sure, he says, well, I'm going to lay out a fleece, God. And, and uh, in, the, in the morning, if if the ground is all, or if the fleece is wet and the ground is all dry, I'll know it's you. And then that happens. And then he says, "Okay, just to be double sure, if the if the fleece is dry and the ground is all wet, or did I say it backwards? Anyway, the other way, then I'll know for sure that it's really he needs this confirmation. And here's the beautiful thing about God: when God speaks to us, when God calls us, when God is asking us something, God is not afraid to be a confirmer. God is a confirmer. He confirms and confirms and confirms. That's why it's so important for us to be in his word because when he calls you to do something and you think, man, this seems crazy, he will confirm it through his word, through people, through opportunity, through prayer. God's a confirmer. So he confirms this even though Gideon had some doubt. So, so the story goes on. So Gideon's getting ready to take, take the, God's people and battle the Midianites and Gideon calls the people together. They got 32,000 men. And he's ready. He's, he's gathering all of the mighty men, all the fighting men together. They're, they come together. They count them up. 32,000. They're ready to go to battle. God looks at that and he says, okay, that's good, Gideon. You got, you got way too many men. Here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want, you to, I want you to get in front of the crowd and say, okay, anybody who's afraid, you, you can go to your homes. And then just keep the ones who stay with you. So I just picture Gideon gathering the 32,000, right? Okay, everybody. God's told us we're going to take the Midianites. And, and, and I need all of you in this battle because the, they're, they're, they have mighty uh, 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 warriors over there. they got all these animals. That, it's going to be quite a battle, but we can do this. Come on, guys. We can do, God has told us we can do this. Who's with me? Anybody who's afraid, you can go home, but who's with me? 22,000 are like, I'm out. I'm out. 
<laughs> they go home. And so Gideon is left with 10,000. Now he's down from 32,000 to 10,000. And God says to, to Gideon, okay, that's still way too many. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them to the river, and I want you to have them drink out of the river. And I want you to watch. And my mind goes to details, like, how did they watch all these people drink out of the river? He's you know, pulling a crowd, crowd of people saying, hey, you count, you watch how they drink. So they, anyway, they're counting all these, and they, and they drink out of the water. And the ones who, who, who cup it up and drink it like this, he says, I want you to separate those from the ones who just go dive in face first and drink in that way. So there's 300 of them that lap it up this way. He says, I want the 300, I want the 300 that did it that way. Now, there could be lots of theories and reasons about why he chose those 300. But the point here is, he chose those 300. And God says, okay, that's your, that's your army. 300. The 1%. You're going you're to you're take 1% of the original army, and that's going to be your army. 300 people. How are you feeling about now if you're Gideon? You already don't feel qualified. You already are wondering if God has been with you. God now has spoken. You've confirmed that. But now he's cut your army from 32,000 to 300 to battle what you know is a mighty army in the enemy camp. But, and sometimes we feel a little a bit like that when we're facing daunting situations. But Gideon's issue is not really his number of men. The problem that Gideon had is not the fact that he had... 300 men against however many the Midianites had. His issue really is what he believes about God. That's really what it comes down to. When we're facing a battle, when we're facing a challenge, when we're facing a, a unique and significant and challenging calling, it comes down to what we believe about God. And this is what God is about to change in Gideon. God tells Gideon to listen. He says, listen, Gideon, okay, uh, we're going to win this battle. Now, he says, Gideon, if you're afraid... If you're still afraid, you can go down to the enemy camp and listen to what they're saying. So, of course, Gideon is afraid. He grabs Pura and he walks down to the, at night, down to the Midian camp, and he sits outside a tent of one of the enemy, uh, uh, you know, one of the enemy camps there. He's sitting outside the tent and he hears one guy in that tent talking to another guy in that tent, and he's recounting a dream, and he says, I had this dream that this barley loaf came down off the hill, and it crushed the tent, turned it upside down. And, and the other guy in the tent said, oh, that, that's the sword of Gideon. The Lord has given us into their hands. So what Gideon hears in this dream from the enemy is that the enemy is going to lose. It, it's, it's really telling. And when they heard this, they're encouraged. You know, they, it says they start to worship and they start to realize God really has given us this battle. He needs convincing again and again, and so do we. But, but here's what's, what's important about that point is the enemy is not as sure as his victory as we tend to give him credit for. We, we need to remind ourselves that even the enemy knows that God's going to win. Sometimes the enemy has, you know, more belief that God is powerful than the way we act. And the enemy knew that God was going to win this battle, and they heard from the enemy the confirmation that God was going to lead them in this battle. 
Gideon devises a strategy of blowing trumpets, smashing jars, completely confusing the enemy, and it results in this incredible, incredible victory. These 300 then pull in the others who had been sent away and the others who had uh, left because of fear. They, they still were a part of the battle later on, but it started with these 300 men. It winds up in this beautiful, amazing victory where God gets the glory. And I think one of the things that God wants to, us to hear today is this. Regardless of our weakness, our lack of confidence, our imperfections, our limited resources, and our imperfect faith, with God, you are enough. With God, you are enough. As long as our confidence is in what we can accomplish without God, we'll never know true strength and God's glory will not be displayed. But, but it's important we understand the context here of, of what God is saying, what he wants us to hear. Scripture is not simply saying weakness is strength. That's not what it's saying. It's not just saying uh, that your limitations, your lack of faith, maybe your propensity to sin is what will make you strong. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that to the extent that those things turn your heart to dependence and obedience toward him, you will find your strength. When those things inside of you that, that feel like weakness or limitation turn you to depend, okay, God, I really need you now, that's when you begin to find your real strength. In fact, Scripture is clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Even the accomplishments that we have, even the things that maybe the world applauds, if it's outside of Jesus, they, they are hollow. And sometimes God needs to take us. Now, you know, some of you may struggle with this idea, but we find this to be true in Scripture. Sometimes God needs to take us down and limit us a little bit, take us down a couple of notches because he's getting ready to show us something greater than we could have ever seen otherwise. And let me just show that to you here in this. When, when, when Paul said, to keep, to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. That's what he said. And God wouldn't take it away. He said, I pleaded with the Lord three times. Now, I don't know how much time was in between the first time he pleaded and the second time, but the way I imagine it is he went to the temple, he asked the Lord, God, would you please take away this thorn in my flesh? Please, please take away. And he waited. God, he is sure, God's going to take it away. God's going to take it away. He never took it away. So he goes again. God, please take this thorn away from me. God, it's, it's limiting me. I, I don't know what to do about it. It's really bothering me. It's, I'm really struggling. Will you take it away? And he pleads with God, and God doesn't take it away. About that time is the time where we start wondering, is God hearing us? Is God listening? How come God won't fix this? And the third time he pleads with God, God, take it away. And, and so he, he pleads with God, and God didn't take it away. And sometimes the very thing that keeps God from getting glory, the very thing that keeps God from operating in our life, is our strength and is our success. You see that historically in countries. God would bless a nation, and he would give them abundance, and they would, uh, and, and they would give God the glory for that. Over time, they begin to think, oh man, we did this ourselves. We accomplished all this prosperity ourselves it's our own mind it's our own strength it's our own ability that did this and then they stop giving glory and giving thanks to God and they stop saying oh God God is blessing us and they start thinking our own ability our own strength did this and then God just says okay if all you want is all you can produce that's all you're going to get 
And that's the consequence. God, God wants to be a part of this. God wants us to partner with him and then we find uh, amazing power. God wants our lives pointed to him. Gideon, in the story of Gideon, God said, you have too many men. Too many men? This is a battle. <laughs> you have too many men. In order, And then he says this, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. And God takes people out of his army. Sometimes God will put us in a place that we can't understand because he's getting ready to show us something greater of himself than we, than we would know otherwise. God is strong. God is always strong. And he wants to show us characteristics about himself. He wants to reveal those to us. And not only does he want us to re- want to reveal those things, he wants those things to become a part of who we are. God is strong. He's always strong. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul was talking, he, it says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He says, listen, my grace is sufficient it's enough. I'm enough for you. You feel like you can't do it because of your weaknesses. You feel like you can't accomplish it because of your circumstances. You feel like you can't, but I'm telling you, it is through this that my power will come through and you will see something of me that you never knew before and now that will become a part of who you are. Every situation is an opportunity to become more like who God is. The the scripture tells us that the Lord is transforming us into His image, glory to glory, or in ever-increasing glory. The Lord is transforming you into His image in ever-increasing glory, glory to glory. If that's true, and it is, then every situation has the possibility, every circumstance that you face has the possibility of something glorious happening. Everyone. In God's kingdom, there's no weakness, There's no worry, right? In God's kingdom, there's no frustration. In God's kingdom, there isn't any pent-up anger. There isn't any pettiness. There isn't any negativity. There isn't any pessimism. That isn't a part of God's kingdom. And what God is trying to do in us is He's trying to help us to live within the character of His kingdom and see things from a heavenly perspective instead of just from an earthly perspective. He wants us to take our response cues to the circumstances we face from heaven instead of from earth. So we get into these situations and he's wanting to show us, here's how a, here's how a heavenly response would look in this situation and I want to build that into your life. There's something of himself he wants to give us right now. In our present situation. And, and let me just say this. For those that God is speaking to. For those that God is calling. And I know there are some in here. For those that God is calling into leadership. For those that God is calling into places and positions of influence. He's not just waiting for you to get good enough. Or strong enough. Or confident enough. He's waiting for you to be dependent enough to partner with Him so that He gets the glory. 
you might not have all your ducks in a row. You might not have everything figured out. You might not know, okay, it's going to happen this way, this way, this way. Because if you do know all of that, you really don't need God. So sometimes he calls you into situations that we don't understand the full picture. We don't understand how it's going to work. In fact, it looks like the odds are stacked against us. But he wants us to come to that place where we're just dependent enough on him where we'd say, okay, God, I'm in. I don't know how, but I'm in. And he shows us something powerful of himself that we'd never discover otherwise. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Weaknesses. Limitations of our own, temptations, insults, pain caused by others, hardships and difficulties, pain caused by circumstances, persecutions, pain that comes through conviction. Paul goes through this shift. He went from asking God to take it away to focusing on the grace of God even though the difficulty remained. He knew God could take it away. He knew God had the ability to take it away. But he trusted that God was at work. That is dependence. That even though it didn't look the way he thought it would look or should look, he trusted God is at work. That's dependence. The strength and answer God gives is not always the removal of the problem, but the ability to delight in what God will do even though the problem remains. It's not always the removal of the the problem. It's not always the removal of the obstacle. It's the ability to delight in God, in what God will do, even though the problem remains. And then you find people saying things like this to you. How, How do you stay so positive? How come you still have joy? How come you're not going crazy with fear right now? It's because God is building something into you of his own character where you're taking your response cues now from heaven and from the kingdom instead of from earth and from your circumstances. With God, you are enough. With God, you are enough. As an individual, with God, you are enough. As Celebration Center Church, And the task of making a difference and an impact in this community, listen, with God, you are enough. You are enough. So don't give up. When Gideon had his army knocked down to 300, he didn't quit because of the odds. He recognized God is in this and he set a plan and he went for it. Once Paul accepted his weakness and difficulties as an opportunity for God to show himself, he chose to boast and delight in those things. Listen, It's tempting to quit. It's tempting to quit. Where's Tommy? I thought he was with you. No. Jack. Tommy? Go get him.
Sometimes it feels like all we got is twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> right? And then God comes along behind us and He says, listen, I can take the little you feel like you have and I can make it a masterpiece. I can, I can take, if, if you're willing to be dependent on me, if you're willing to give all that weakness, all of that sense of lack, the, the insurmountable, if you're willing to just say, okay, God, I'm going to let that turn my dependence to you. God comes along and he can turn that thing into a masterpiece. Where are your weaknesses? Is it possible that God is wanting to show you a new dimension of his grace? Is that possible? Maybe the first step for you is to just trust that that it is possible, not only possible, but that God cares enough that he's actually at work on your behalf because he is. He loves you. Listen, church, God loves you. God God has never stopped loving you and he will never stop loving you. He has the very, very best intentions for you If you'll allow the struggles you face, the challenges you encounter, the weaknesses you feel, the inadequacies that maybe have become a part of what you've allowed to become a part of your identity. If you've allowed those to say, okay, I'm going to give those to God and I'm going to boast in those because God is my strength. They're going to point me to something greater of God. Maybe you feel like Gideon And you feel like, I don't feel like much of a mighty warrior and I'm facing some insurmountable odds and I don't feel qualified. God is saying to you this morning, listen, go in the strength you have. I've given you the victory. Go in the strength you have. Maybe it's like Paul and you've asked God to take something away, take something away, and he hasn't. And maybe God hasn't fixed it and God hasn't removed the problem and you've wondered, God... Are you hearing me or are you listening to me? But what God is really wanting to do is he's wanting to be your strength in the midst of the problem. Are you willing to let that turn, you, turn into dependence? That is what made Gideon a hero. It wasn't his amazing faith. <laughs> it wasn't his cr- incredible ability. It was his dependence, his trust that God was at work, that God really would do what he said he would do.